Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, FFD260 proudly brings to you the Fuck It, We Did It Live podcast. I am your host, Jared Forrest. You can find me on the Twitter machine at that guy from Jers. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Mark Leopold. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Good start. You can find him on Twitter at Leopold NFL. We don't have a guest today. It's going to be me and Mark going back and forth. In about two weeks since we last had, since we had our last podcast and got some news injuries. We're two weeks into the season, so it's an exciting time. Mark, what's going on? Nothing much, man. Football's back. This is the first time we've been on air since the start of the season. I know we'll kind of be slowing down, letting the redraft guys take most of the or pick up the most slack in the season here. Uh, so we might not record every week, uh, but. It's nice to have football. It's nice to have some stuff to really talk about. So excited to see what you've got. Yeah, we don't want to flood the FFD260 channel with weekly Dynasty news because, let's be honest, any Dynasty podcast that does do that uh, is doing the redraft job. Um, so we're going to try to aim for every other week with some with some news and, and see how we can put a Dynasty spin on it. <clears throat> So uh, that's the plan from here on out. If you guys want to hear more of us, because we're that incredible, and I'm sure we could handle <laughs> or less effort. of us, <laughs> yeah, or less of us, uh, we can make that happen. Hopefully, you want to hear us every week, or at least keep us at this pace. But we're going to do our typical three-segment show. Start off with some news. Uh, going to breeze through that. We only have three major headlines that we're going to touch on as far as dynasty goes. And then we're going to talk about players that we're going to question if they're for real or not. Some of these guys uh, had no name recognition coming into this year. So we're going to touch on them and see if they're worth going on your waiver wire, picking up long-term value. And then uh, for those, for the dynasty leagues that are looking to win now that maybe not so much by now, as far as veteran presence go, but maybe some guys that, you would look at for this year uh, or maybe the year after on the cheap or if they're worth giving up those picks for you guys to make a run at the ship in your league. We're going to touch on a couple of those as well. But first, some Dynasty news. And, you know, I was I was up in the air which one to start with. Uh, I, I guess we'll start with Le'Veon Bell. Um, but not whether, you know, what we think of him still holding out. That's been beat to hell. I'm tired of talking about it. What I want to ask you is, is this actually a good thing for Le'Veon Bell owners? Now, I'm trying to look at it through a dynasty perspective, and I'm sure anybody who owns Le'Veon is taking a hit now. But we know how much work he's had over the last few years with Pittsburgh, the injuries uh, when he began his career. And him and his agent came out and said that he wants to save his legs for the team that's going to sign him to a long-term big money deal. So uh, you may think of Le'Veon as approaching that apex, but will this extend his career? Is this a good thing for dynasty owners in a way? I think he's probably going to sign another contract, but we just haven't seen a running back like him hit the free agent market. And I mean, you think about the guys that got signed this past year, Jarek McKinnon definitely doesn't have the same workload. Carlos Hyde, I mean, he's good and he has a decent workload, still not quite like Le'Veon Bell, but he's a different type of running back. And, you know, we saw he, he got a three-year deal, if I remember correctly, but 
his deal with Cleveland, they have a pretty easy out after one year. Absolutely. So it's not really a long-term deal. So we haven't really seen anything quite like this situation. And there are kind of two schools of thought. One is that he's kind of at the age that you probably don't have Le'Veon Bell on too many rebuild teams. So if you have him, most likely you're trying to compete now and you have a championship caliber roster. So having him sit out this year is probably going to hurt that roster. It's probably going to hurt your chances. But the other school of thought is, you know, if he's going to be able to extend his career and let's say he gets a three-year deal, if we know we're going to get three more years out of him, that's good. And you probably want to take that because the alternative might be him playing. Maybe he gets hurt. Maybe he just racks up more mileage and teams don't want to sign him that much. And maybe we get one more year or something like that. So anytime you can get more years out of the elite players, that's obviously good. But it's really impossible to speculate what would happen one way or the other. So it, it kind of depends on your roster construction, whether this is good for you or not in the long run. I think probably most of the time it's not going to be for the teams that do have him. Yeah, uh, as always, disclaimer, anybody that we talk about, for the most part, depends on roster construction and how your team looks. But, um, you know, it, it's it's an interesting take to try and look at it from a, for a long-term perspective because everyone's hung up on the fact that he's holding out now. And I agree with you that if you have him, you're more than likely coming into this year thinking that you're a championship contender. Uh, so it, it's if you are a championship contender, sometimes it's hard to cut bait on one of your main guys and kind of accept the fact that it, this isn't your year. Now, with that being said, uh, unless I'm getting value for him that was comparable to that in the offseason, I'm holding all day because I'm thinking that, first of all, he has to come back by week 10 to claim his free agent status for next year. So there's that. So even if you could kind of just hang around that, you know, six, seven spot for 12 team leagues, kind of get into the back end of the playoffs and have him come back week 10. Maybe you can make a run with him. But uh, even so, if you have a bad year and you come into next year and you have an early draft pick, maybe trade that early draft pick for another decent running back or another stud receiver. Now you got Le'Veon Bell, you know, an RB one next year, you're going to have a stud receiver. Just make a run next year. Uh, it's, it, does depend on roster construction, but I think that sometimes dynasty owners um, kind of get tunnel vision on on one aspect of a player, and they need to look long term. So, I personally don't have any bell shares. If I did, I'd be holding. Do you have any bell shares? And if you do, what have you done with them up to this point? I don't have any. The only thing I've tried to do is buy because I think you're absolutely right that if you try to sell him. The only offers you're going to get are the people that are just going to come in and try to lowball you. Absolutely. I don't think anybody's going to make a full value offer for him now because there's so much uncertainty. And it, you know, a lot of times it's a bad idea to go out and buy players with uncertain futures because you're just giving away any kind of information advantage that you have over your opponents by leaving things to chance. In this case, Le'Veon Bell is such an elite player and such a valuable asset for fantasy that I think it warrants taking on some of that risk, but generally speaking, it's a situation I would not try to be buying, but I'm definitely not going to sell because of those offers that you're going to get. They're just not going to be worth it. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. And if you're wondering if we're going to get to uh, James Conner, 
We might. I don't know. That's another one that's gonna beat to hell. You know, he's he's good. He's not as good as he was in the first half of the first game. I would sell him, but I digress. Uh, let's move on to our next headline, one that I'm curious to hear your take, not so much as a Dynasty fan, but as a Patriots fan. Josh Gordon traded to the Patriots, and I have trouble believing that that's the best offer they got, but traded for a fifth-round pick, and they're getting they're even getting a pick back if he doesn't play 10 weeks. So um, basically for nothing, uh, Tom Brady's new weapon, a lot of people are saying that he hasn't had anybody like this since Randy Moss. I tend to agree. He has a athleticism, but I think that the Patriots' offense is extremely tough to pick up. We see that a lot with uh, these number one receivers. Granted, Brandon Cooks had a very good year, but he, he traded and cut him for a reason. I think he's going to be good. I think he has the best quarterback in the game throwing it to him, so he doesn't really have a choice but to be good. I personally think that this is good for someone like Chris Hogan, who won't be facing the number one corner on defenses anymore. But first, as a Patriots fan, what was your initial reaction and then as a dynasty analyst, how are you looking at Gordon? I think it's impossible to look at this trade and not think that the Patriots just totally ripped off the Browns. I agree. Because apparently the trade was supposed to be for a sixth round pick, not a fifth. And the Patriots just didn't have a sixth. Yeah, they didn't have one. Yeah. So, I mean, you think about the number of fifth round picks that even play, you know, let's say a full season. I forget. I saw it somewhere. It's it's very low though, and some very low percentage of them become Pro Bowlers. You know that even as a, an NFL team that you'd like to think knows what they're doing, scouting players, it's still a crapshoot. And so when you can get a player like Josh Gordon and effectively only move down two rounds, fifth to seventh, and you know if he plays, then even better. But you're getting a player that we know is very talented. But on the flip side, he hasn't really done anything since 2013. He's missed so many games, and he's actually pretty much at the age apex right now, despite having a very limited NFL career this thus far of actually playing. But to your point, yes, he fills a much-needed void on the roster, the one that I was hoping Corey Coleman might fill. Uh, but they don't really have a field stretcher. They don't really have a guy that can go deep, throw up the ball, and let him go make a play. They've got a lot of these smaller receivers that are quick and shifty in space, Julian Edelman and Chris Hogan. Phil Dorsett's a decent field stretcher, but he's not going to be a big-body physical receiver and a red zone weapon the way Josh Gordon can be. Um, my fantasy take on it is I wouldn't expect him to get involved right out of the gate, especially given that this is generally accepted as one of the more complex offenses in the league. I don't think we'll see him immediately. Long term, I obviously think this is good because he goes to a good offense. He's playing with one of the best quarterbacks of all time, and he's on a team with a wide receiver depth chart that features no elite players and, more specifically, players that are also old. Chris Hogan and Julian Edelman are both over the age apex. So if you think – a couple of years out, maybe they'll cut bait with one of those guys. And if Tom Brady sticks around that long, I mean, we could be seeing Josh Gordon and nobody else. So that's definitely in the range of outcomes. But I think more likely we'll just see him integrated as one of the key pieces of the offense. And 
that of course all comes down to whether he's willing to commit. And I'm sure that was part of the Patriots homework that they did before the trade. Um, so we'll see what happens. I mean, I think the upside is obviously huge, but there's still a lot of risk as there always has been with Josh Gordon. Yeah. I mean, this is such a Patriots thing to do. And when the Browns announced that they were cutting them and then that they were shopping them, all of Twitter exploded with basically two teams, uh, thinking that he was going to go to, and that was the Patriots or the Cowboys. And the yeah, Cowboys, go ahead. And the, the Browns made the worst mistake you can possibly oh, make. by saying that they were going to cut him. Right, saying that you're going to cut a player, yeah. and then that guarantees that you're just going to get low-ball offers. Yeah. And I'm still we, surprised nobody beat a fifth-round pick. But. What we saw was the most Browns thing ever by saying you were going to cut a, a, an all-pro an all receiver and then shopping him, and then the most Patriots thing ever by low-balling and – making out on a trade for that said receiver. But, um, and then the Browns came out and said that they'd rather trade him to the NFC. I have a hard time believing that an NFC team was not offering them a sixth round pick. So I, I don't know what's going on in, in that front office. Uh, I think they clearly made a huge mistake here. Uh, the upside for Josh Gordon is some of the highest in the league. Obviously, the floor is rock bottom if he gets popped for drugs or, you know, like you said, we haven't seen him play in going on five years now. But um, I think that I agree with you that the Patriots will kind of, I guess, scheme him in in a way where you can't expect him to pick up a playbook fully this year. And I don't. But um, if they sign him long term, then yeah, it's something that is going to be um, key to dynasty owners and for people that have been holding on to him. I don't have any Josh Gordon shares. I don't think I do. If I did and I was rebuilding, I would definitely sell now. This is yet another sell window for Josh Gordon owners that they've had countless amounts of over the last five years. I, I Even if I was competing, I don't know if I would hold them. I think I would just sell, see what I could get for him, especially if someone's willing to offer, throw a first out there. I think I would take it in a heartbeat. But um, Yeah, I think we'll be disappointed at the end of the year with what he does in 2018. Yeah, I think people are expecting wide receiver one numbers, and that was never and still is not going to be the case. In Cleveland, it was about how often uh, Tyrod throws the ball. And granted, he has thrown the ball more this year than – uh, he has in in past years, but the uh, it, it was never going to get up to anybody being a wide receiver one there, uh, especially splitting the low with Jarvis Landry and Brady. You know, spreads the ball around just as much as anybody else. And if teams are going to put a safety over the top to shadow Gordon with a corner, then you know when Edelman comes back, he's going to eat. Gronk is going to continue to see. Uh, passes down the seams, and and I still like Hogan. I, I would even venture to say that Hogan finishes with more points per game than Gordon this year. Um, and I don't think that's going out on a limb too much. But uh, no, I would I, sell. I would agree with that. Yeah, I, I would sell. But if you're if if you've been holding on to Gordon for this long, I doubt that you have the mindset that you're going to sell them now. This is probably the window that you've been waiting for to capitalize on and to finally be able to plug them into your starting lineup. So if you own them, Godspeed. If you don't, it, it's, I think it's pointless trying to go out and get them. 
Yeah, and the other big news out of this is I think this really opens the door for Antonio Callaway because when we started the season, it was Gordon and Landry and then kind of a toss-up between him and Corey Coleman for the third receiver job. And now he's pretty clearly entrenched as the number two. So Corey Coleman, if you own him – or sorry, Antonio Callaway, if you own him, things are looking good and it's probably going to be impossible to go buy him now. So – I think if you got him good and if you don't, you're out of luck. And if you have Phil Dorsett, we were excited for the first two games here, but I think that's going to be put to bed pretty soon, especially yeah. because Julian Edelman's coming back anyway. Yeah, Phil Dorsett's going to cease to exist by week five. Um, so if, if you have sold him, good on you. If you haven't, try to this week. Also, besides Antonio Callaway, I think Richard Higgins is someone that you want to look at. If he's on your waiver wire, you may want to pick him up just because – I think between Higgins and Callaway, I think either can play outside and either can play the slot. Uh, I think that's a good system for three wide receivers, uh, especially if they're going to be down a lot and you put three wide receivers out there with a tight end and a single back like Duke. I can imagine Higgins, Callaway, Landry all being on the field at the same time. And uh, I, I don't really know who will come out of that, but I like Higgins' talent. I like Callaway better, but I think Higgins is worth rostering. Yeah, and we probably we- – I don't think we need to talk about him. He's definitely one of those guys you might be able to scoop up off waivers depending on your league. And he could give you legitimate like flex production, maybe not every week, but at least a good chunk of the week. So if he's out there, he's certainly worth an ad. Absolutely. And remember, Antonio Callaway had those drug issues in college. So he's you know not far off from suspension either. And if they lose him, then Higgins moves right into that clear wide receiver two role. But – uh, moving on to our last big news headline. It's not really that big. This is more on the redraft side. Uh, Joe Mixon and Devontae Freeman both suffering uh, what seems to be minor knee injuries. Mixon was having a really good start to the season, top-end running back one. Uh, I think even still, uh, well, he played the full game on uh, Thursday night, but I think right now he is the uh, running back I think he's still a running back one. I think he's a back end. But uh, Devonta Freeman, a lot of people were kind of selling him in the offseason, saying that his time is coming to an end. And with Tevin Coleman being a free agent after this year, it's going to be my boy Ido Smith's turn. But I digress. Both are out at least two weeks. However, both viable backups that could possibly be argued as running back ones for the next several weeks. If you were to pick one as far as plugging into your starting lineup, do you like Tevin Coleman or Joe Bernard better? I'd rather have Tevin Coleman of the two, mostly because of the offense they play in. I think Atlanta's offense is going to have more scoring potential, but it's honestly not as close as it has been in past years. Or sorry, it's closer than it has been in past years. And Joe Bernard is a legitimate option while Joe Mixon's out. Yeah, I think Gio is a running back one while Mixon's out. He went out and signed Thomas Rawls today. So that just shows you that they really have nobody behind Gio. I think he's going to eat. Um, I think that with the way Andy Dalton's been playing and A.J. Green, you know, everybody saw him go off last Thursday with three touchdowns. Tyler Boyd had a very good game. John Ross is going to take the top off defenses. Uh, Tyler Eifert is healthy. No one's going to be able to stack the box against the Bengals. Gio has always been a pretty accomplished runner. And he's incredible at catching the ball out of the backfield. With Mixon out, I could see Gio getting, 
you know, ceiling at 25 touches a game and really producing out of that. Uh, so if we're talking immediate, I think I'd rather have Geo, but you give me either of them. I think they're both running back ones for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and this is going to be a good audition for both of them. Because um, if I'm not mistaken, Geo's out of his contract at the end of this year too. So, And I know the Bengals drafted Mark Walton, who presumably is going to replace Bernard as the kind of satellite back there in Cincinnati. So I would expect both of these guys to be able to move this offseason. Yeah, I was kind of oh, – I'm sorry. If they perform well, this they could both legitimately become – you know, like next year's Jarek McKinnon. We've all expected that from Tevin Coleman all along. We think he's going to go somewhere, sign, and be, you know, a near workhorse, if not a workhorse. But Gio Bernard could legitimately be that as well. So if this is a good audition window for them, if they play well, you got to hold tight on both and hope they sign somewhere nice and their value could shoot up. But if they don't perform well in these few weeks, it might be a good time to just remember that. And then at the end of the season, before they sign somewhere else, throw out that bait, you know, hey, this guy's going to sign somewhere else. He's going to be this year's Jarek McKinnon and sell them. Absolutely. So I'll just kind of keep an eye on how they perform. I agree. I think that Geo is the one that uh, will fit the situation that you just mentioned as far as, hey, you could play off that Jarek McKinnon role, kind of sell him high. I think Tevin Coleman is legitimately going to be a very good signing for a team and could be a high-end running back two going into next year. I'm hoping that my Jets sign him and make him the three down back. But yeah. uh, with you mentioned Mark Walton earlier. As a dynasty owner, I have a couple of shares of him. With them going out and signing Thomas Rawls. I'm not worried. Yeah, I, I was, was going to ask. I'm not either, and I'm very curious to see how much they play Walton and if Walton gets time in front of Rawls and if Rawls is just a depth signing. Uh, I Mark Walton was a dynasty darling uh, coming into the draft process. Everybody was kind of surprised at how late he went, but um, it'll be very uh, exciting to see what he does with his touches while Mixon's out. Yeah, Walton was a good prospect, and I really liked what I saw on his tape. And the problem with him was he wasn't 100%, and he still tested athletically. And so he put up poor numbers, and he made himself look slow and not agile and all this kind of stuff because he – he tested poorly. And so I think that dropped him down draft boards, both in dynasty drafts and in the NFL draft. Uh, but I think he's a legitimate prospect. And I think they're probably more likely to use him than Rawls. Um, so JJ Zacharyson had a great, great tweet today that Thomas Rawls torched the Bengals the last time he played them. And, you know, obviously we know he hasn't been great for most of the rest of his career. So I'm guessing what happened is they said, we need a running back. And somebody in the room just said, oh, this guy torched us last year or whatever. So yeah. I don't uh, think they really signed him thinking they're going to use him. I hope not. Um, if you can't make the Jets team after, you know, uh, Elijah McGuire got hurt, then I imagine you're not very good at football anymore. Or be on the Seahawks roster as a running back. Exactly. Um, with Chris Carson getting winded <laughs> after some special teams plays. But Six touches. Harold, don't play your starting running back on special teams. Whatever. Um, so moving on, we're going to cut the news off there. There's plenty of other news, but the redraft guys can handle that. We're going to talk more long-term now as far as breakout players this year and what we expect from them moving forward. Some of these guys, I'll admit, not even on my radar before the season started. Uh, I had to do quite a bit of research after week one to find out who the fuck Will Disley is. 
Yeah, he was but, the only one not on my radar at all. Yeah, I mean, Philip Lindsay was, I didn't do much research on him. I knew the name. So after he had his game, uh, especially because kind of uh, demolishing Royce Freeman's value right now. But we'll start with him. Um, he's averaging 15.2 PPR points per game for the Broncos. Royce Freeman's only averaging eight, so just over half that of uh, Lindsey. Third in the NFL in rushing yards, but the biggest thing with him is people just can't imagine him staying healthy. Uh, his, his body, he's just so little. Uh, he's that typical scat back, but in the fact that of his body frame, however, scat backs, you kind of figure have that third down pass catching role. Lindsay only has three catches on four targets for 35 yards. Uh, only 65.9% teams own him. So if he's somehow out there, I'd definitely go get him. Uh, what is your thought long-term on Philip Lindsay? Do you see this being a split backfield with Royce Freeman? Uh, probably at least this year. I think this is a sell window, but let me caveat this. I think Philip Lindsay is legit, and I think he's going to carry fantasy value because he's over half of their running back touches – well, or carries plus targets, not necessarily touches, but uh, that's in the top 24 in the league. So he's given you RB2 opportunity. Uh, he has 10 evaded tackles, which for a guy his size is very good, and he breaks a tackle on over 30% of his touches. Uh, those are both within the top 15. Uh, his yards per carry is exceptional, and even if you factor out long runs, it's still – over five yards, number seven in the league. So he's very efficient, and he's actually getting it done, you know, in terms of breaking tackles and everything, despite his size. And he's actually creating over two and a half yards per carry. So even either after contact or just totally making a defender miss, that's near, would have been near the top of the league last year. It's number four in the league right now. But the problem with Lindsay is he's a 24-year-old rookie. Mm-hmm. And – if you told me before a rookie draft, like, hey, this guy's pretty good, but he's a 24-year-old rookie as a running back, I'm not interested. So this is a perfect sell window for me if I'm a Philip Lindsay owner in Dynasty. If you have him for one season or if you're a championship contender, you can certainly make a case to hold him or even pick him up off waivers if he's there because he could legitimately help you win this year. Yeah, I agree. Uh, this is another guy I own zero shares of because I like to think that my teams have – uh, depth and good running backs. So I was not even thinking of someone like this. However, uh, I want to try and look at this as two-sided. I completely agree with you that this is a sell window. I even think it's a sell window if you're competing. Uh, I, I get it where running backs are tough to come by and, and they're scarce commodity. But um, I think this is a flash in the pan. I think Royce Freeman is still going to be the back to own there. Yeah, so, it's a buy window for Royce Freeman. 100%. Buy window for Royce Freeman. That was the other side of the coin. Sell for uh, Phil Lindsay. And I really don't think that there's much more to talk about. A lot of people coming into the Dynasty uh, landscape this year probably haven't heard of him. Uh, I think that he's maybe going – I can't even – maybe you can shed some light on this. I personally don't know. Was he at all a pass catcher in college? Yeah, he was a workhorse. I mean, he okay, so, accounted so for a huge chunk of Colorado's rushing and receiving. 
Okay, so can we imagine that long term, maybe this will be something like what we're seeing in Washington now, and I know we're going to touch on that later, where Royce Freeman is that Adrian Peterson role and Philip Lindsay is the Chris Thompson role? Sadly, I think you probably could. Um, and I think from a real NFL perspective, that makes sense. I think that's probably Denver's best use of their running backs. But for fantasy purposes, you, you, I think I just stop it. He's a 24-year-old rookie running back. Yeah. So I'm not interested in him from a fantasy perspective. But I do think Denver has legitimate value with him, and I think they can use him you know, in tandem with Royce Freeman. So I'm still hoping Royce Freeman's talent rises and that he gets more touches. So I'm still trying to buy him. Yeah, um, all very good points. Uh, I agree on just about all of that. I really like the buy Royce Freeman take. Uh, I would be shopping for him now, throwing out any low ball offers that I can. I would even trade Philip Lindsay for Royce Freeman straight up if I had him. But you could even get some cherries on top of that if you really wanted to. No way the Royce Freeman owner selling it for Philip Lindsay. I don't know. You just look at points per game right now. It's almost double. I'm You'd saying if you have a, a, a semi-unintelligent Royce Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Moving on to wide receivers, we're going to talk about – I I can't imagine his catch being top this year, and I know we're only a couple weeks into the year. But Keelan Cole's catch on the sideline was unbelievable. Uh, just the way he went up, up over his head, behind his helmet, grasped it, tucked it, switched hands as he was going down. It was pretty amazing. Great awareness. Uh, Keelan Cole averaging 16.5 points per game. Also, disclaimer, as if I have to keep saying it, this is all PPR-based. Uh, he is a back-end wide receiver, too, right now. However, the thing that scares me is he's only seen 12 targets. So uh, we, we were already kind of – Worried about that passing offense. However, everybody was trying to predict who was going to be the wide receiver one in the Jaguars offense. And most people said Cole. I know some people said Moncrief or D.D. Westbrook. But Cole has 10 catches on 12 targets for 170 yards. Uh, owned in just less than half percent of leagues. Going forward, I, I think we could both agree that Keelan Cole is the wide receiver one on Jacksonville. But how much value does that really have? Yeah, I mean, I think he's probably the wide receiver one on the team, but I don't think his value holds for fantasy purposes. And part of the reason is, I mean, he's been super efficient, and that doesn't necessarily mean he won't continue to be efficient, but he's only seen 139 air yards on his targets, and that's 43rd in the league. So that's very concerning because that means he's either going to have to continue to have a catch rate that's near the tops in the league. He's going to have to do a lot after the catch, or something else, you know, he's going to have to make it up with crazy efficiency. So I don't see that continuing going forward um, just based on the volume he's seeing because he's only seeing just over 15% of the team's targets. And I know we're only a two game sample in, but that's a very low number for a team's wide receiver one. I mean, you're talking about fantasy wide receiver ones and twos, like 20% is probably the bare minimum that you can get there with in my mind. And I haven't really run any analysis on that. So that could be wrong, but you know, you usually see wide receiver ones in that 25 to 30% range. So I suspect the wide receiver twos are probably more like 20 to 25, but 15 is extremely low. And he's 25 years old. So he was also a 24 year old rookie. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I agree. Like you look at some of his uh, metrics on player profiler and it's just not great. 4.640 yard dash and 83.7 speed score, good for 18 percentile. So he's not really anything special. Uh, and again, I think the biggest thing out of here is that it's still the Jaguars offense. And I grant, I know Blake Bortles just had probably the game of his life this week against the Patriots. I don't care. Uh, that's still going to, that's an offense that's going to run through Leonard Fournette first, even though it shouldn't. Um, and I don't think that any wide receiver on that team will end up being a wide receiver one in the fantasy outlook, uh, fantasy aspect. Uh, Keelan Cole is obviously worth rostering. However, I think you're looking at a flex option at best long term. Yeah, I agree. I mean, with that volume, especially coming from Blake Bortles, the catch rate's not going to continue. So there's going to be a drop-off somewhere unless he sees more targets. Moving on to a tight end, uh, the aforementioned Will Disley, uh, tight end for Seattle. Currently the tight end three with 16.4 points per game. However, only six catches on 10 targets. Literally no competition there. I still think that if Russell Wilson was not on that team, the Seahawks may be the worst roster in the NFL. Yep. Uh, Will Disley, the tight ends this year are a mess. Um, obviously, Kelsey was asleep week one, got it going week two. But tight ends are always tough to predict. I think Will Disley is definitely worth rostering, if only because uh, – the, the clusterfuck of tight ends in the tight end one category. I mean, you have Eric Ebron up there. I'm sure Jordan Reed will get hurt. Uh, Austin Hooper is a back end tight end one, you know, early tight end two right now. So uh, Will Disley could be taken. That's sort of a Jimmy Graham role in Seattle. We know that they always like to throw it to the tight end there. And Russell's going to be running for his life most games anyway, looking for a check down or that safety blanket. And Disley can prove to be that. So I definitely think he's worth rostering. I think he's even worth starting if you have him. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think Will Disley is legit. You probably don't need to know anything more than that he's 12th in target share and inside the top six in both red zone and end zone for target shares. So Russell Wilson's looking to him at a decent rate, and he's looking to him significantly when they get down near the goal line. So I think exactly like you said, he's playing that Jimmy Graham role where he's not going to do as much between the 20s as he is near the goal line. But on the plus side for Disley, and the reason I think this might continue, he has his average target occurs 13 and a half yards down the field, which is number three among tight ends. So he's actually running deep routes when he's running and getting targeted, and he's getting targeted down the field. And the other thing I liked when I was looking up his profile here is he ranks number eight in tight ends and separation at target, almost two yards between him and the nearest defender when he's targeted on average. So he's running deep, he's separating, and he's getting more looks in the red zone. So those are kind of all the things you could really ask for out of a tight end. And on a team that doesn't have any real red zone weapons otherwise, I know you could say Brandon Marshall, but he's old. Okay. So Disley might be the best red zone weapon on that team. Like I think this can continue. I think the touchdowns will probably regress a little bit. I mean, I don't think we're going to see one a game. That would be absurd. But I think it can continue, and I think he can certainly finish his, you know, like that 6 to 10 range. I don't think it'll be a top-end tight end one. But tight end one definitely in his range of outcomes. 
Yeah, uh, I agree. I think he will finish as a tight end one this year. Um, if anything, I think it's because Seattle is going to be losing most games and forced to throw. But the big thing with Will Disley, I think, that uh, you can't really see as far as fantasy or stats go is he was kind of drafted as a blocking tight end. So you cannot expect him to come off the field as if he was just the receiving option there. He's going to be on the field for running plays. He's going to be on the field for throwing plays. So he's kind of that rare dual threat. <laughs> dual threat is if blocking is a threat. Uh, dual capability tight end uh, that you don't really see a lot of anymore. So uh, he can be there. He has the capability to um, really uh, produce in Russell's offense. Uh, I, I think I think it's going to be well. Uh, let's move on. We got everybody's new favorite quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. Right now, stupid numbers. The QB two behind Fitz, which I don't want to talk about. Lead the league in touchdown, has yet to throw an interception. Kind of remind me of how everybody was going nuts over Deshaun Watson last year. Is he your dynasty QB one? Absolutely not. Good. Mine neither. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Mahomes is legit. I mean, we knew this. The analytics community was all on him last year going into the draft. His college profile was insane. Um, and I think he can still produce at a high level, but the touchdowns are obviously going to regress. Um, he actually ranks eighth in air yards over 12 per attempt. So he's throwing down the field, which we knew because he has a huge arm. And He's, you know, in the top 15 in completion percentage pretty much across the board, whether it's play action, red zone, deep balls. So he's a legitimate quarterback and he's accurate, which was one of the things that we wanted to see. And the thing about Deshaun Watson last year and the reason most people were off him at his price moving forward was his touchdown rate, which was 9.3%. Patrick Mahomes so far this year, 18.2%. So <laughs> if you think that's going to continue, you're going to be in for a very rude awakening. Yeah, I think Andy Reid is really uh, playing into Mahomes' strengths. Uh, he looks great. The no interceptions is really surprising to me so far. But again, I think that's a lot of coaching. I also think that's uh, part of his supporting cast. And, you know, he has a ranked second in the league with supporting cast efficiency. And Tyreek Hill has been off the charts this year. Sammy Watkins had a great game week two. Travis Kelsey finally came alive. Uh, the biggest person who I think is taking a hit here is Kareem Hunt. But uh, that's to be expected when you have a team that is throwing as much as them. I, I think he's definitely a QB one. I think he's a top end QB one. I just don't think he's the QB one. Yeah. I mean, I think for dynasty, I don't have anything in front of me here, but you know, I'd say I'd comfortably put him top eight at this point. I think top six is probably a good spot, but I don't think I'd go much higher than that. Cause I'd certainly still do Rogers, uh, Wilson, Wentz, him and Watson, I'm, I'm not sure because Watson looks pretty shitty this year, honestly. Terrible. So bad. So, yeah, so, I mean, maybe like four, five, six range, somewhere in there. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, Mid-range could be one. And, again, we're only three games into his short career. So uh, maybe when we do our next show, we'll have a bigger sample size and we could really break it down. Yeah. Uh, moving on to my home team, we got Sam Darnold and Quincy Inunua. Uh, if Quincy Inunua coming off of a pretty serious neck injury that he suffered in preseason last year. Since then, he has been an absolute target hog. Has 21 targets, which is tied for 12th in the NFL, and absolutely killing Robbie Anderson's value, which is awesome. Uh, Sam Darnold looks good. Uh, youngest QB ever to pass for 300 yards, making some rookie mistakes, but that's to be expected. 
However, he is so far outscoring quarterbacks such as Jimmy Garoppolo, your boy Dak Prescott, uh, Derek Carr, and Eli Manning. I think this is kind of what we expected from Sam. He's uh, He looks great after that first pick six in week one. He recovered very nice. Uh, and even uh, this past week against Dolphins, other than those two picks, especially that first one, which is awful, uh, he's looked solid. But I love Quincy Inunua here. I think that he's going to continue to eat up targets. However, I don't think he's going to ever give you that 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 big yardage. Um, I think he's a big slot guy. I know he's sort of like a small tight end. Uh, however, I think the big story here is just the lack of, of uh, production that Robbie Anderson has been getting so far. So take us to the Jets offense. What do you like about Sam Quincy? And are you done with Robbie Anderson yet? Yeah, well, I was done with Robbie Anderson before he ever got started. So I've never been in on that train. But yeah. Quincy Newton was legit. Quincy Newton is the reason sites like Player Profile exist, the reason that we say athletics matter in athleticism. Um, and we care about things because he has a 96 percentile speed score yeah. and he's got good bursts. He's a legitimate athlete. And at his size, it should have been obvious to anybody that was looking into this kind of thing that he's going to be the Jets' number one. And so that's what most of us expected all along. And you need to know nothing more than the fact that he has 21 targets in two games and over 50% of the Jets red zone targets. That's all you need to know. He's going to be a starter every week in fantasy unless he gets hurt. Like there should not be a, a week from now on where he's on the bench. And Darnold, I agree with everything he said. I mean, he looks legit. He's been efficient. He's been accurate. And when you look across player profile or a lot of those metrics, yards per attempt, completion percentage, those type of things, he's, you know, above average, but not by much. And I think that's kind of about what we would expect from him. So it's been a very, very good start to his career, especially considering how young he is. And I think the future looks very bright. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, you know, you always want a rookie quarterback to kind of establish that chemistry early with somebody, whether it's for a safety blanket or for a deep threat. And it's clear that Sam um, loves throwing to Quincy. So Quincy is someone that you got to put in your lineup. I think he has the potential to finish as a back-end wide receiver, too. I think that the Jets are going to be trailing quite a few games this year, which is going to force Donald to throw, which will open up for production from Quincy. And if you do own Robbie Anderson, uh, I, I think you obviously hold. You can't sell him right now. It's too low. And he will recoup some of the value eventually. But uh, as soon as he does, you better sell because he's not good at football. Moving on, everybody's favorite rookie. We'll talk about it real quick because it's what we all expected. Saquon Barkley, the running back six so far, mostly due to the 19 catches he has for 155 yards. Also has 29 carries, so he's not slacking in that for 135 yards. Which is good for a solid 4.6 average. However, that offense is pretty disastrous. Eli Manning is not good. However, his offensive line is even worse. How Eric Flowers is still on the NFL roster, I fail to understand. Is this what we expected from Saquon Barkley? This is exactly what we expected. This is exactly what we hoped. Yeah, he's legit. We knew this all along. And the Giants offense has been perfect for him because he's such a good receiver that it's so much better that he's getting – 15 carries and 10 targets a game rather than 25 carries because the carries are going to do you very little good in that offense. And it's the targets that he's really making his money on. Um, but yeah, I mean, Barkley's legit. He has 13 evaded tackles in two games, which is third in the NFL. And he's creating over two yards per carry, which is insane. It's top 10. 
Uh, he's one of the best running back prospects of all time, and it's no surprise that he's off to a hot start, even in a crappy offense. No, I agree. Like I said, I think we're just going to make this one quick. Uh, it's just going to get better. If, if they ever get offensive line help, the guy's going to be monster. If you want to be entertained, watch the Giants play because he will make every first tackler miss. And it's just incredible to watch. Um, this is exactly what we expected. He's going to finish as a, a mid-running back one right where he was being drafted. If you were able to get him in rookie drafts, congratulations. Hold on to him. He's going to be a monster. Uh, let's move on to one of the not young guys. Well, I, I mean, he's young as far as age goes, younger than some of the rookies that we've talked about. But uh, he's been in the league for quite a few years. Is this finally Amari Cooper's year? Uh, he is so far on week two, which was, I mean, the only week where he produced anything. He was the wide receiver 13, where Carr was extremely proficient. He was on pace to set some record numbers as far as proficiency goes. Uh, and Cooper was had 10 catches on 10 targets, no drops, which is a big thing, and 116 yards. However, I don't believe he found the end zone. Nope. These are the games that we've been expecting from Amari Cooper. We wanted him and Carr to establish that chemistry now that Crabtree is gone. Is he going to finish as a wide receiver one like we all want? And what are you doing with him? I don't know if he's going to be a wide receiver one, but I, I will so. say, no, I hope so. After week one, I was still optimistic, yes. and week two was everything I hoped it would be. Yes, it was. He went from running forty routes in week one and getting three targets to only running thirty routes in week two, but he got targeted ten times. So a third of the times he ran a route, he got targeted, and it was a significant number of Oakland targets because I don't think anyone else on the team had more than four in that game. So there was a real conscious effort to get Amari the ball. And no drops this season is the biggest thing you could have asked for because that's his knock throughout his career, especially last year. Absolutely. Um, and so the one thing that I think is interesting is opposing defenses are still respecting him this season, regardless of anything that's happened in the past and any kind of narratives about him. He's getting almost six yards of cushion every time he lines up on the field yep. on average, which is top five in the league. And when he's being targeted, he has 2.31 yards of separation, which is top 10. So opposing defenses are respecting him. And even with that shitty game, the first one, he's getting almost 10 yards per target of production, which is top 24. So it's not great. But you think about week one and how bad it was. It's impressive that it's even there. So I am still very optimistic. And no matter what happens, I don't think I'll ever be able to quit Amari Cooper. No, I, I love Amari Cooper. I do think he finishes as a wide receiver one this year. Uh, he's one of those players that I thought was going to jump Antonio Brown, which is why I have AB finishing as a wide receiver too. But you mentioned some of the uh, efficiency numbers that I was going to mention as far as target separation. That's straight from his incredible route running. I still think he's the best route runner in the NFL. Uh, and then obviously his catch rate and his true catch rate of 100% best in the NFL uh, which is great considering the only knock on him really after last year was the drops. So if he can continue to do that, I think we're in for a monster year from him. He's just got to find the end zone and the Raiders got to play better. Uh, moving on. Who do we got next? We got James Connor and James Washington, two very different stories in Pittsburgh. I'm so tired of talking about James Connor, but I guess we got to do it. Let's do it quick. He's yeah, a he's fraud. Been- yeah, no kidding. He's getting the Le'Veon Bell treatment. He's getting ridden to the ground by the Steelers. Uh, leads the league in carries. Plus, he's got 10 catches, which is great. Right now, he's the running back four behind Kamar, Gordon, and Gurley. 
while James Washington only has one catch on five targets for 14 yards. I'm personally selling Connor. Uh, I don't think he's the long-term answer there, even though I love the kid. I love his story, and I'm buying low on James Washington. Do you agree? I'm definitely selling James Conner. He's the biggest fraud in the league right now. <laughs> uh, despite having a 94% opportunity share, Pittsburgh's backfield touches, carries plus targets, uh, which is second in the league. He's under four yards per carry. And you can't b- blame the offensive line because they're very good. Very good. So that's concerning. He's creating just over half the yard per carry, which is 42nd in the league. So that's awful. Awful. And he's breaking or evading a tackle on 12% of his carries, which is 45th in the league. So he's getting a lot of carries. He's even being targeted. He's not breaking tackles, and he's not creating yards on his own. And he's not being efficient behind a very good offensive line. So I don't really know what there is to like about that. And he also has an expiration date because it seems more likely than not that Le'Veon Bell is coming back at some point. And – I just don't see him having any value beyond this season unless the Steelers totally ignore all those efficiency metrics, which is totally possible. But I am selling Connor and Washington. It pains me to say this, but I am unsure because I loved his profile. I was trying to get him everywhere because I thought people were overrating the situation in a bad way. Uh, But right now he's just being used as a deep threat, basically. He's got 25 yards per target on average. And that is number two in the league. So he's essentially been, been relegated to a deep threat. Uh, so he's going to be boomer bust for now. I'm really hoping that AB moves on at some point and we get James Washington unlocked a couple of years from now, maybe even next year. We'll see. Uh, so I'm optimistic. But this year, I think there's no hope. Yeah, uh, I agree. Like I said, I'm buying low. And I even venture to wait to see if it gets even worse and uh, maybe throw out like a – shit a third round pick for him see if i could get him in the offseason but he seems to have that a, a, a poor man martavis bryant pittsburgh role where i don't even know if the wide receiver wide receiver three in pittsburgh is, is worth anything we always think it is because it's such a high-powered offense but yeah it's really not though because the targets are just so concentrated between ab and juju and even connor's getting some not as much as bell was but they just don't really use the third receiver and and even now with the tight end getting involved, it's just the wide receiver three in, in Pittsburgh is not like the wide receiver three and any any other teams uh, that you would imagine uh, with a quarterback that throws 40 times a game. So uh, if you have Washington, obviously you're holding. If you don't, I would wait until the offseason, try and buy low around the draft for a third if you yeah. think that A.B. moves on. Yeah, I'm definitely trying to buy if I don't have him, but maybe not right away because he did just score a touchdown in the last game, and those box score watchers will like that. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Uh, and then finally, the last guy for the – is he for real sex? And Christian McCaffrey, uh, I was high on him coming into this year. Right now he is the RB7. He has a league-leading 20 catches, which was to be expected, for 147 yards. He only has 18 carries, but he's averaging 4.8 yards per attempt, and he's virtually in the top 12 for any metric or efficiency number that matters to include, as I mentioned, receptions, receiving yards, uh, targets, team run plays is in the top 20, opportunity shares in the top 10, snap shares number two. Uh, I'm sure you're going to want to touch on some of these numbers, so I won't go through all of them, but this is exactly what we expected from Christian McCaffrey. We knew he was going to be 
the workhorse there. That offense goes through Cam, but McCaffrey is a close second. He's a dual threat weapon. Uh, I think that he can handle the rock if they hand the ball off to him more. I'm excited to see what he does for the rest of the year, and I think he's a legit top-end running back one. Yeah, I think he is too. And I mean, this is kind of what we expected. The big question with McCaffrey was whether he'd get work near the goal line and get more touchdowns. And so far through two games, he has five red zone touches, which is encouraging to me. Uh, And like you said, they're using him more between the tackles, which I'm actually kind of indifferent about because those are less efficient touches and they're the ones where I would think he's more likely to get hurt. Um, So it's kind of offset by adding some injury risk and some inefficient touches, but at the same time, he is producing at a very high level, and it's nice to see him being used in both phases. Um, You touched on some of the efficiency metrics there, so I won't add anything to that, but he has been very good, and he's been getting work in the way that we want him to get work, and the receiving hasn't dropped off, which which was my biggest concern if he started running more between the tackles. So I think that's the most important piece, is that the receiving work is still there, and the red zone touches are there, so he could legitimately finish as a top five running back this year. Yeah. And I think he'll do that without the touchdowns that someone like Todd Gurley is going to have, because you're going to have Cam Voltring quite a few of those, but uh, you know, if, if the tight end, well, I mean, if the tight end, if the touchdown positive regression ever came from McCaffrey, then you could be looking at a top two, top three running back. So uh, definitely a, a great uh, running back there in a great situation. But we're going to go into some of the, I guess you could say older guys, we'll, we'll say veterans, uh, for anybody that's looking to win now or maybe is one piece short of having a stellar starting lineup. The first one, uh, if he's got to be some of the most traveled, uh, as far as my dynasty league goes, uh, most often traded players in all my leagues, John Smokey Brown uh, having a very good start to the year in Baltimore, while Joe Flacco is kind of good, I guess. Uh, the Ravens are third in the league in team pass plays, which is obviously uh, a plus. And he has a um, seventh in the league in yards per reception, which is what we know John Brown to be. He, he is that deep threat. He only has seven catches on 14 targets, so that's not great with the two touchdowns. But like I said, Flacco's playing relatively well. If you need a third receiver to plug into your starting lineup, is John Brown someone that you're looking at? Yeah, I mean, he's one of the top two receivers on Baltimore. He's a team that throws a lot, and he's getting work down near the goal line too, which is one thing that we haven't always seen from Brown. He's more of a field stretcher in some of his past lives. So, uh, yeah, he's a legitimate option. I mean, I think he can give you wide receiver three numbers for the rest of the season. Yeah, uh, that's really it. That's all I have to say. And oddly enough, his comp on player profiler is our next guy, Deshaun Jackson. Same athlete, however, Deshaun Jackson, a lot more efficient this year. Um, He is the overall wide receiver three, nine catches on nine targets for 275 yards and three touchdowns. He was banged up coming in a week two, but that did not stop him. He's continuing to produce. Uh, I can't imagine. I I mean, he's obviously going to slow down. That's insane efficiency, but I think that, you know, he's going to finish as a wide receiver, too, just because teams are going to be looking at Mike Evans as that wide receiver one. Yeah, I mean, the question this year was whether Chris Godwin would take over as the second receiver on the team. Yeah. That hasn't clearly happened, so you're certainly still going to get some value out of Deshaun Jackson. 
and he's still going to be one of those guys that's boom or bust. So you'll get some duds, but on a championship team, sometimes you just need to have those boom weeks, especially in the playoffs when you're playing other good teams. And he's the kind of guy that can deliver you, as we've seen, like 150 yards and two touchdowns. So there's a place for him on a lot of different rosters out there, and he's someone to, to consider for sure. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you definitely can't go trade and get him for a reasonable price right now, I would think. so. No, no. If you don't have him, you're not going to get him. If you do yeah. have him, uh, if you're if you're a rebuilding team and you just happen to have Deshaun Jackson uh, on your on your team, I don't know why you sell. still do because you need to sell. You know, a week ago, uh, sell him now for whatever you could get. If you could get a second form, do it because I think that uh, Chris Godwin is still going to overtake him by year's end. Yeah. Uh, moving on to another wide receiver who's having a very good year, Emmanuel Sanders. Right now, the wide receiver nine. Uh, sixth in the league in air yards, eighth in yards per uh, pass route, and fifth in yards per target. Also, 93% catch rate, which is phenomenal. Uh, a lot of the Twitter world and the Dynasty community kind of predicted this, where Emmanuel Sanders was the guy to own in Denver, kind of filling in for that Adam Thielen role that Case Keenum had in Minnesota. Uh, this doesn't really come to a surprise to me. I don't think it really surprises you. However, uh, this is another situation where he's going to be a good wide receiver three if you're making a run for it. Uh, but he's definitely someone that I want to sell if, you know, come trade deadline if I don't think I'll make it in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, if he's on a team that's young and rebuilding and not doing so hot, it's perfect buy candidate because he's going to be startable essentially every week for the rest of the season, I would imagine. Absolutely. Uh, he's – I think clearly become the number one target on the team over DT and he's been extremely efficient, much more so than DT. So Sanders is the guy to own in Denver. And, you know, if you're a rebuilding team, his contract, I think is up this year. So his future is uncertain. And those are the kind of teams that might be looking to unload him. So I would definitely go out. I'd be willing to pay a first uh, if I felt like I was contending. Ooh, I'm sure anybody who had him, who didn't think that they were making it would gladly take a first from you. Uh, I don't yeah, know if I'd give up that, him, but maybe a second plus a third. But yeah, yeah, I mean I that's can, where I would probably start. Right. Um, yeah, depending I would come in with the first. Yeah, depending on just how much of a difference he would make, uh, I, I would be tempted to move up to a first as well. Uh, I think that he's definitely Denver's wide receiver one, and I, I would imagine that he finishes the year as a wide receiver two. Um, so it's definitely something that you want to look at as far as a contending team goes. Yeah, switching positions here. Oh, go ahead. Did you have anything else to add? No, no. Okay. Uh, switching positions here, uh, and kind of dropping off a little bit. We're going to go to the uh, beast mode in Oakland. Marshawn only averaging three point seven yards per carry, so not great. Uh, does have two touchdowns though. Um, only four catches, which is to be expected. Jalen Rashard kind of eating into that. I think that his value is not there. I don't think that he's going to help anybody. I know he has uh, 11 evaded tackles, but that's kind of the runner that he is. He's still only averaging 3.5 yards per touch, so not awesome. Um, even if I'm contending, I, I, he's not cracking my starting lineup. Uh, and if he is cracking your starting lineup, I personally don't think you're contending. So what what's your take on Marshawn Lynch? I mean, I put him in here because I think 
you have to count on Oakland's offense to pick it up a little bit. Obviously, week one was a disaster. Uh, they looked better in week two, so assuming they can continue to be decent moving forward, and I don't think you need him to be amazing, but I would assume that his efficiency will pick up a little bit. But it really just comes down to Marshawn Lynch is the cheapest workhorse in the league. So if you have a running back go down or you're like the Le'Veon Bell owner or um, – you know, you have Joe Mixon, and let's say his injury turns out to be more serious than we thought, or you had Jarek McKinnon. Marshawn Lynch is the kind of guy that you could plug into the RB2 slot, and he's not necessarily going to give it to you every week, but he is a clear workhorse on the team, and he's going to get every goal line touch. So he could go out and get you two or three touchdowns in any given week. So he's kind of like the Deshaun Jackson of running backs in my mind, where he can put up a dud because he doesn't get much passing down work. So if they're trailing, you could get four or five points from him but he can go out there and give you a 25-point week. Yeah, so I agree to an extent. I think if you're in a league where it's maybe a half point per carry or something where you get rewarded for carries, he, it definitely boosts up his value because he is uh, he does have 29 carries. So that's good for 12th in the league. And as you mentioned, as far as red zone goal line work, he is third in the league in that. So uh, that's a good kind of cross-positional comp there. Uh, as far as the boom or bust where, you know, he can have uh, 16 carries for 40 yards, but he can find the end zone twice in a game, which will basically give you all you need. So it's an interesting player. I think if you look at the box score numbers, you could kind of play it where you could only give up, you know, super late, maybe a third or fourth for him to a team that just wants to unload him. So very interesting there. Moving on to a, a very unique running back situation in Washington with the clear two-headed monster of Adrian Peterson and Chris Thompson. We'll start with AP. Uh, had that crazy first game. However, people need to pump the brakes because averaging 15.3 points per game, five catches for 100 yards, but he's only averaging 3.1 yards per carry. This is the Adrian Peterson that we remember from – you know, last year, he's old. He's not that good. Washington is not that good. They're going to be trailing a lot of games, which is why you're running back five is Chris Thompson. Only nine carries, but he has 19 catches on 21 targets and 23.6 points per game. Chris Thompson, uh, we knew that he was coming into the season banged up. Certainly does not look banged up. He looks completely healthy to me. Uh, going to finish the season, I think, as a running back one because clearly of that, those PPR numbers, only behind Christian McCaffrey as far as catches and targets go. Uh, there's no way you're going to be able to buy Chris Thompson, but I think you could buy AP along the same lines as Marshawn Lynch if you have a league where it's you're getting rewarded for points for carry. Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. AP is going to be good in positive game scripts, so – I think you can buy him very cheap if he's on a team that's not contending and, you know, you can put him in. And even if he gives you, let's say, four good weeks for the rest of the season, that's worth a late round pick. So, I mean, he's definitely going to give you a few good weeks like that because Washington's not going to lose every game. So AP is a decent buy because he's going to come so cheap. And I would still throw out offers to see what kind of price you can get on Chris Thompson because he's no spring chicken. True. No, I agree. Uh, I own Chris Thompson in quite a few leagues, and you know I love it. It's it's that PPR third down back that you're always trying to find. And Adrian Peterson, if you have him on your roster, definitely worth streaming, as you said, 
uh, positive game script, he's going to be the guy that handles the rock. Um, I don't have the Redskins schedule in front of me, but I know they played the Giants twice a year, so that could be a positive game script. Uh, something that you definitely Dallas. want to look for. And, and Dallas. Well, Dallas's run defense is disgusting so far this year, which I don't understand. However, yes, Washington is probably going to be beating them just because that team is disgusting. Uh, next up, we're going to be looking at just we're going to throw all the quarterbacks together. You could pick a couple to talk about if you want. We've got Phillip Rivers, of course, Tom Terrific, Drew Brees, Alex Smith, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I kind of want to talk about Fitzpatrick because I think he's clearly keeping the job. I can't see any reason whatsoever why Tampa would throw Winston in there after he comes back from suspension. Obviously, Phillip Rivers is still doing his thing with a great passing offense, but uh, Rivers is one of those guys who I would try and go after if you need um, a veteran quarterback and maybe – you know, quarterback one leagues, you're not really looking for that. But I do love Rivers as far as that goes. And then Fitzpatrick, he's not on your waiver wire anymore. But be interesting to see who picked him up in your league and trying to send out an offer for that. Yeah, I mean, if your quarterback's like Marcus Mariota or something and he's hurt and you're struggling at the position and one of these older guys is on a, a rebuilding team, these are the perfect guys to go out and submit an offer for because especially in one quarterback leagues, they'll probably come relatively cheap. And you can get high-end quarterback production from a guy like Tom Brady or Drew Brees. Even Alex Smith is, has that potential because he's still very mobile. Um, and Ryan Fitzpatrick, we've seen he's the quarterback one so far. Um, I think they'll be best served to keep him starting, but I have no idea what they'll actually do. So, yeah, I mean, just generally the concept here is go buy an old quarterback. Um, let them carry you to the title. It won't cost you much. And when you have your championship in hand next year, you won't regret giving up, I don't know, like, a third round pick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the title's well worth it. I agree. Uh, even for someone like Rivers or especially Brady, now that Josh, well, Brady's value probably got boosted up with the Gordon signing, but someone like Breeze or Rivers, I'd even entertain a second, depending on if that was literally the only piece I needed to make a run. Yeah, but, I could probably do a second for Brady or Breeze and maybe a third for Rivers and Smith and. I don't think I'd go a third for Fitzpatrick just because there is still that uncertainty of maybe he won't be a starter by the end of the year. Yeah, I agree. But I think that given what he's doing uh, and that uncertainty, I think that maybe you could get him for a fourth. Uh, I don't think a team is selling him for a fourth right now, unless it's a team that's rebuilding that may have plucked him off the waiver wire. But it's certainly worth entertaining to whatever owner has him in your league. Yeah. Uh, Moving on to a couple of tight ends. My – Probably my biggest target coming into this year, uh, Jared Cook. If you don't know his metrics, do yourself a favor and go to Player Profiler and look at his metrics. They are fucking ridiculous. Basically, 97th percentile in everything, except for agility score, but that's fine. And then if you look at some of his productivity and efficiency, you're looking at top 10 in everything so far this year. Third in air yards, first in yards after the catch, top 10 in red zone receptions leads uh, the league in fantasy points per game with Michael Crabtree gone. Some of those targets had to go somewhere else. I think that this team is going to be throwing the ball a lot. I think that Cooper and cook are going to be the main recipients of that. I think that he's going to be a top 10 tight end. Obviously this can't keep up. He's not going to be the tight end one, but this is something where, uh, maybe somebody who doesn't realize what he's doing. You could go out there and, 
and get him on the cheap still because I can I can see these numbers somewhat continuing. Oh yeah, definitely could. I mean, I thought Jordy Nelson was a fraud all along, and I didn't think he would succeed in Oakland because I thought he was always just made by Aaron Rodgers. Um, and I don't think he's bad. I just don't think he's great. And so I, my expectation coming into this year was that we would see targets consolidated between Amari Cooper and Jared Cook. Um, so they were both targets of mine all over the place uh, for seasonal leagues. And I think Jared Cook's going to give you – he could be somewhere in that you know six to eight range easily, I think. So uh, he does no good to a rebuilding team, and I think you could throw out like a third-round pick potentially and get him, and I'd be willing to go for a second – yeah, if you were a tight end away, I would absolutely I wouldn't even hesitate to throw out a second form. Um, I think he's well worth it. And I think yep. you could expect numbers like this to continue, especially with how just cluttered the tight end market is with you know, you have Jared Cook, the next guy we're gonna be talking about, Jesse James, the tight end two, Will Disley's tight end three. Uh Ebron's up there as I mentioned earlier. So definitely yeah, worth the price that you're gonna pay. I think the underrated thing about Jared Cook is he probably has more of a floor than other tight ends because that offense just doesn't have that many weapons in the passing game. So I think you can reliably count on Cook for maybe a minimum of like four or five targets every game, um, whereas some of these other tight ends, even if they're going to finish in the top six, you know, you might see them have games of two or three targets or less even potentially. Yeah, no, I agree. I think his floor is a lot higher than what people give him credit for. Yeah, I mean, like Travis Kelsey has a game already this year, one catch for six yards. So yeah. I think yeah. Cook's floor is certainly higher than that. Oh, I agree. I agree. I and mean, you don't you don't typically think that of Kelsey, but you look at the weapons around him, and you know there's a lot of mouths to feed there, which is complete opposite that Jared Cook's situation is in Oakland. So uh, definitely something to consider. And then the next player, the aforementioned Jesse James. And again, if you want an entertaining player profile page, Go to Jesse James. I'm not going to say anything about it. It's up to you to go check it out. Uh, it's worth it. But had a decent week one, three catches, 60 yards. It was really week two against the Chiefs in that ridiculously high-scoring game where he went off for five catches, 138 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, that kind of skews the numbers a little bit because that was ridiculous. But he is still second in the league in yards after the catch and fourth. In air yards, basically top 10 everything. Again, we're going off of a small sample size. I would 100% take Jared Cook over Jesse James. I would possibly even take Will Disley over Jesse James. I'm not that much of a believer in him. I think it's similar to what we mentioned before with all the mouths to feed and how it's all centralized over Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster and the running backs. Do you agree or are you a little bit higher on Jesse than me? I'd probably take him over Disley, but it's close. And really the reason that he's interesting this year is because it seems like he's still the preferred option over Vance McDonald. Um, so he was dirt cheap coming into the season. And I don't know how willing his owner would be to part with him, but until this past week at least, you could probably get him off waivers in most leagues. So uh, maybe you can still get him on the cheap. You know, it's worth a shot because it seems like he's still going to be one of the options in that passing game, and it doesn't look like Vance McDonald's going to take over as the number one tight end there. No, yeah, I agree. I think Jesse James is definitely the number one tight end. Uh, I just, I don't know. The situation's going to be weird. But that's all the players that we had uh, prepared for. Did you have anybody else that you wanted to throw out there real quick? I'm good. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Uh, of course, if this comes out Thursday – 
Uh, let's go Jets. They play tonight, I'm assumingly. Time uh, for the Browns to get their first win. Fuck off. You know what? It might happen. I know Evan Silva predicted the Browns to win. I hope let's not. Go. I hope not. I think the Jets defense shuts them down. Uh, if there's a game that I'm excited to watch this week, it's definitely Saints-Falcons. I'm sure everybody agrees with that. I think Bengals-Panthers is also going to be a very good and underrated game. Uh, who do your Patriots play this week, real quick? Detroit, Sunday Night Football. Oh, Sunday Night oh, that should Detroit's so bad. I don't get it. Best game um, of the week is going to be Rams-Chargers. Uh, yeah, the Battle of L.A. is going to be very good. Uh, I think the Rams still win. I think Philip Rivers struggles this week. If you have him, you may want to consider sitting him unless he's your only option. Yep. But that's going to wrap it up. Mark, any closing words? Peace. <laughs> As Mark mentioned earlier, we're going to be taking some time off, maybe doing every other week, every third week, letting the redraft guys do their thing. So continue to tune in to whatever platform you listen to your podcast on. Listen to the redraft guys. They do a great job. Not as good as us, but they do a great job. Uh, also, I know we're in the works of trying to get some DFS content out there. Uh, but otherwise, we will see you guys probably in two weeks and hopefully have a bigger sample size. Have a nice night. I do have to add one thing. Oh, um, go for it. Check out the FFD260 uh, Twitter page. They're doing a signed DeAndre Hopkins jersey yes. giveaway courtesy of Pristine Auction. So uh, I think all you have to do is retweet it and follow the account or something. But, you know, we've given out, was it Le'Veon Bell? Earlier this year, last year, Odell, whatever. Odell was last year, I think. Okay. Right. And so they're giving out DeAndre Hopkins signed jersey. Um, so I know everyone probably wants that. Yeah, I do. I'm registering, even though I never win. But I'm <laughs> still going to try. It's rigged. Uh, it is. I, I think it is. None of the writers can get it. But definitely do it. Uh, it's easy to do. It takes five seconds to follow and retweet. It's definitely worth your time. Throw your name in the hat. Also, I'm checking out the Listener League for FFD260. Shout out to Nate Deagle, I believe, is undefeated. I think he's tied with a couple other guys. So uh, good on them. I'm going to keep checking them out. Give them a shout out whenever we do a podcast. I think that's it. So uh, we'll have a bigger sample size next time we talk and hopefully have some more stats to break down.